Well, today we are in the book of Revelation. Say Revelation. Revelation. Say Revelation. Revelation. Do not say Revelations. It's the book of Revelation. What? Sean, only one revelation. It's one entire revelation. I don't know why it's a pet peeve of mine. If you say revelations, I might just go ballistic and hit you. I don't know. But it's the book of Revelation. So congratulations. We've made it, team. We've made it all year long. Woo! We started with the book of Genesis, and you guys thought we were crazy, and now you know we're crazy. We're at Christmas time, and we're in the book of Revelation, right? I think this could be the most important passage of Scripture in the entire Bible. You say, well, no way, that's a tall order, preacher. What about like the birth of Jesus? We're celebrating the Savior, the birth, it's Christmas time? Absolutely. Without the birth, this Revelation chapter 4 and 5 wouldn't be the most important. Well, what about like when the veil in the temple was torn in half and there's no longer the separation between God and man? I mean, wasn't that absolutely incredibly important? Well, what about like in those last chapters of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John where it has the resurrection of Jesus and everybody's all stoked? Absolutely. But I think even more importantly than those other sections I just mentioned, I think today is quite possibly, arguably, the most important section in the entire 66 books. Are you ready? I want to tell you why. Now, God has this amazing strategic plan. And he starts off in the first couple chapters we see in the book of Genesis, God gives man the keys. And he says, okay, here are the keys. And I want you to drive. And and chapter 1 says God created them, male and female. He created them. In the image of God, he creates man, he creates woman. And then as he's passing the keys, he's saying, I don't want you just to ride the car. I want you to drive the car. I want you to have rulership. I want you to have dominion. I'm going to place you in an amazing garden. You're going to have like a perfect marriage. I mean, that's like hard for most of us to get there, right? Never arguing about the temperature's too hot, the temperature's too cold. I mean, this is just perfect. Never a headache. Everything's great. It's wonderful. It's an amazing marriage. And then we know that that was the first part of God's strategy. That was the beginning part. And then like the middle part's where you and I still are today. We're in the middle part of God's strategy. In that middle part, there's the fall. And God didn't just leave us then to ourselves. God sends us prophets and priests and judges and kings. And finally, he sends us the Savior. He sends us Jesus. And you and I today live in the church age. We're in that middle part. There was a beginning strategy. We got the keys. The, the, middle, the, beginning, the beginning part was that we got the keys. The middle part, we lost the keys. And we're not there yet to the final strategy where we get the keys back. And that's what we long for. And every man and every woman in this room, we long for more. And that's why in this church age, we still have pain and problems and persecutions and upheavals and dictators and all kinds of health problems. We live in the best part of the church age. We live in a time in the church age where there's the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit guides us and equips us and helps us. So if there's any time to live in this middle part of the church age, we get to live in this part, which is absolutely wonderful. 
But there's still a longing in every one of your hearts. There's still a longing for more. There's still a longing for something better. There, there's this longing within inside of us, and, and it's, it's because we had the keys. And we lost the keys. And yet it's God's plan and God's will for us to have the keys and to rule and to reign on this earth under the authority and the lordship of Jesus Christ once again. We all feel it. We all recognize we live in a world still dominated by dictators. I mean, we can shoot Osama bin Laden and we can hang Saddam Hussein, but there's a half a dozen just waiting to take their place, right? We've got Morsi right now over in Egypt and he's the Muslim Brotherhood and he's crazy. We've got crazies in Korea and crazies in Iran and crazies in um, Syria. That guy's nuts in Syria, isn't he? And we've got all these people today who are dictators and you see that and you feel that, but you long for the day. When there's no longer a a mall shooting, a movie shooting, a school shooting, you long for the day. When there's no longer mental problems and health problems, you all long for the day when everything will be right and everything will be copacetic and everything falls into place. And every single one of us in this room, we long for that because paradise has been lost and we all feel it. And so today, John has a vision. And John has a vision of what this last time in history is going to be like. And he's caught up in the vision. And it's kind of weird how time works in this vision. But he's able to see the end of time. And the Bible says in Revelation, I'm going to get there in just a minute, that he weeps. Because there's nobody equipped to help him understand and to help him break these seals and open this scroll so that he could see the end of time. And so John is weeping and weeping and weeping. It's really interesting because he knows Jesus as Savior, and so do we. We know Jesus as Savior, but we also know it doesn't matter how much oatmeal we eat, we all know it doesn't matter how much we exercise. We all know it doesn't really matter how much money we have or how much money we make. We all know in this room, we will not be insulated by pain. Pain and problems and trials and troubles will affect every one of us. We will not escape it in this church age. We know that. And so we have a Savior, but we long for the day when there will be perfection. And John begins to weep and weep and weep and weep in this verse of Scripture because he fears it'll never happen. Now, wouldn't that be a tragedy? I mean, as Christians, when we do funerals, and as Christians, when we we help people through their losses, I mean, if, if, if this is it, Paul says what? We are of all men most to be pitied. So I want you to turn with me to Revelation chapter 5, and I'm going to look and start with verse 4, and here's what he says. Here's John. This is interesting because this is the same John, James and John, son of Zebedee. This is the same guy that wrote the Gospel of John. This is the same guy that wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. This is a guy that walked with Jesus. This is a guy that was right there, and yet he is weeping. I wept and I wept. It's a little Greek word, same word that Jesus uses in the garden. It's the same exact word when Jesus is just 
overcome with distraught. And it says he's weeping great drops of blood. So this isn't like, you know, like you lost a checkbook. This is like you lost something big. Because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or to look inside of it. And so in chapter 4, verse 1, it kind of paints the picture for what he's talking about. So here's John. So I'm going to go back a chapter. Just stick with me in chapter 5. Just hang right there. But I'm going to go back and read chapter 4, verse 1 and 2. John says, After this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. Now this is the revelation. This is the part that's being revealed to him. He's going to see a picture of what the end times are going to look like when Christ comes back and makes everything that's wrong, he makes it right. There was a door standing open in heaven and a voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. Verse 2, at once I was in the spirit and there before me was a throne in heaven and there was someone sitting on it. Go back this week and read chapter 4. It describes God. It describes God on this amazing throne. And it describes the colors. It describes the flashes. It describes a sea of glass in front of God. It describes four living creatures who are shouting, holy, 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 all the time, giving glory and honor to God. It describes 24 elders who are around uh, this throne, and they, they cast their crowns, and they honor God, and they worship God. Chapter 4 is absolutely fascinating. It's at the end of times. And so go back with me now to chapter 5. And so chapter 4 is all that great description of God and worship in heaven. And chapter 5, verse 1 says this. Then I saw in the right hand, that's a, there's a point for the word right, The right hand of him who sat on the throne, who is that? It's God. He sees this vision. And I saw a scroll, and there was writing on both sides. Now, that's kind of cool, because you and I don't usually, you know, legal documents, it's on one side. These documents, paper, papyrus, was so sacred and so precious, there's writing all over it. And so this is the, the message of the end times. It's written on the inside of the scroll, written on the outside of the scroll. And it was sealed with seven different seals. And again, if you and I were doing a contract or we were writing a will for our children or a will for our family, you know, be on legal paper and there'd be witnesses to it. Well, this is a huge contract and a part of it would be rolled up, sealed, rolled up, sealed, rolled up, sealed. There's seven seals on this, which makes it like perfect. Seven's a perfect number. And so John's in a vision And he sees what's going to happen at the end of time. And he sees this amazing scroll. It has seven seals and it's all written up. Okay. Now, I just want to make sure that we understand what's about to happen here. Because this scroll is about to reveal the mystery of God. This scroll is about to reveal to humankind how everything ends, how everything falls into place. This scroll is like really, really huge. And so who in heaven can know the mystery of God. Who in heaven has the authority to reveal the truth of God? And so there's some mysteries, and I got these in your your bulletin if you want to write some of these in. There's three different mysteries that are about to be revealed in this great scroll. The first one is the mystery of God with rebellious people. What happens to rebellious people? 
and the scroll will reveal what happens to rebellious people. The scroll will also reveal about the mystery of God and, and Satan, how Satan is defeated. So it's not just rebellious people, but it's also Satan. And now, let me just push pause for just a second. No matter how much you exercise, no matter how much money you have, no matter how much you try to avoid pain, you and I aren't going to avoid it on this earth. It's part of our fallen nature. And so we have a fallen nature here today on this earth. But there's coming a day. And that's what he does next. Look at the next one. The mystery of God. The mystery of God, look at this, restoring the kingdom, the kingdom of the earth under the authority of God. There's coming a day where paradise is regained. We lost the title, we lost the title deed, and this chapter is about, is there anybody who can get us the title deed back? That's what this is all about in Revelation chapter 5. Have I totally lost everybody in the room? You're very kind, okay? You're very kind. Revelation chapter 5, verse 2 says this. So I'm in a vision. I see the scroll writing on both sides, seven different seals. And then he says, I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice. So now here's this big-time angel, and he is shouting, and he's asking this question. Who is worthy to break the scroll? to break the seals and to open the scroll. Look at verse 3. But no one, oh my gosh, this is awful. No one, no one in heaven, no one on earth, no one under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside of it. Okay? Now, again, I just want to back up and review because if I can't, if I lose you in this turn, we can't keep going north. Okay? So I just want to, I want to say one more time. First of all, we're starting off with a divine purpose decreed. Let's go to that next slide, if you would. The divine purpose decreed. This is Genesis. This is Genesis chapter 1. This is Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, 27, verse 28. Let us make man in our image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. And so here's the divine decree. The divine purpose is, I want you to rule, I want you to reign, I want you to be over the fish, I want you to be over the geography, I want you to be over the cattle. Men and women, I want you to rock and roll, multiply, have babies, and control, and be in charge of the earth. So far, so good, right? Divine purpose decreed. Then we know what happened. Eve ate the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Adam was very passive, staying right there beside him. And they both ate, and then they got kicked out of the garden. Look what happens next. Divine purpose now is what? Delayed. This is where you and I live. We live now in this time where the divine purpose is delayed. We're going to have dictators. We're going to have more school shootings. We're going to have more cancer. We're going to have more heart disease. We're going to have more kidnappers and murderers. It's a part of the fallen land in which we live. And just push pause for a second. This is why the church is so important. This is why church, not, not just our church, but this is why Christ's church is absolutely critical. The church is the hope of the world. We are the only ones who have God's truth and helping people come to grips with, being, with the Savior. And the Savior is saving us from our sins. 
And the Savior will help us, and the Savior will protect us, and the Savior will guide us, but, but it's not going to be paradise. Now, you can pray Psalm 91 over your kids, and we do, and you can remember the verses, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world, and you should pray that. But when Lucifer fell, a third of all the angels fell with him, and where do they come? They are here. They are on planet Earth. They, they are here today. And so the divine purpose of God is now delayed. You see, we start off in the garden, and we're going to have get back to the garden. We started off with the tree of life, and we're going to come back to the tree of life. We started off with God walking with men and women in the garden, and we are coming back to that. Look at the last one. The divine purpose now for mankind is what? It is accomplished, and that's the vision. That's the entire vision that John has in Revelation chapter 5. It is that age where everything that was wrong has now been made right. So the divine purpose for mankind is accomplished. So we just reviewed, okay? We got it? Three different ages. So I'm going to, one more time, mention Revelation chapter 5, verse 4. He's crying. He's all upset. Because he's thinking, oh my gosh, we'll never get the divine purpose of God accomplished. There is nobody who can break the seals. There is nobody who's worthy. And so look at Revelation chapter 5, verse 5. Maybe, maybe the greatest verse in the entire 66 books. Then one of the elders said to me, do do not weep. John. He's in this vision. He's all distraught. Do not weep. See the lion of the tribe of Judah. Let's just push pause right there for just a second. Why the lion? Well, it came the first time as the lamb, right? John the Baptist said what? Behold the who takes away the sins of the world. He came the first time as, as the lamb. But Genesis chapter 49 verse 9 talked about that the Messiah would come from the tribe of Judah. The tribe of Judah would be the royal tribe. And Jesus now would come back as a lion, which is the king of the beasts. He came the first time as a lamb. He's coming back the second time as a lion. So Genesis 49 verse 9 talks about the tribe of Judah. And then it talks about the root of David. Do not weep. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of Jesse, Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1, and Isaiah chapter 11, verse 10 and 11, talk about the Messiah would come through, through David's lineage. It talks about the root of Jesse, and Jesse was David's papa. So all these prophecies, I don't have time this morning to talk about, but they all interconnect with each other. And so he's saying, do not weep. Let me tell you something. The lion of the tribe of Judah, he is coming. He is the root of David. He has triumphed. And he is able, he is able to what? Open the scrolls and reveal its seven seals and break the seven seals and talk about how the divine purpose is then accomplished. So I I got this chart, and I, I think it's a good chart, and it's a lot of words. But anyway, let me show you this chart. Okay, Um, Jesus came the first time as the lamb. He's coming this second time as a lion, okay? 
The first time as the lamb, that was his first coming, but as the lion, it's going to be his second coming. Jesus as the lamb came in meekness, but as the lion, he's coming in majesty. As the lamb, Jesus came, he, he is judged, remember that? But as the lion, he is judge. He's not judged. He is judge when he comes back. Jesus as the lamb, he speaks of the grace of God. Now, that's the, that's the church age in which we're living in. That's why we're trying to help people become Christians. That's why we're trying to help people become saved from their sins. That's why the church is the church, and we all pull together and work really hard to help people to have eternal life. He speaks of the grace of God, but as the lion, he speaks about the kingdom of God. And as the lamb, he talks about God as Savior, but as the lion, he talks about God as sovereign. And sovereign's 50-cent word means God is large and in charge. He is large and he is in charge. So just look at that chart for just a second. There's a big difference between the lion and between the lamb, and he's coming back. Well, Revelation chapter 5, verse 6 and 7 continues. It says, then I saw a lamb. Now he's describing Jesus, looking as if he had been slain. And he's standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and by the elders. And the lamb had seven horns, and horn was a sign of power, and horn was a sign of, a sign of authority. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God. This means the perfect spirit of God sent out into all the world. In the next verse then. And he went and he took the scroll. He went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. I think the application for everyone in the room this morning is is a couple things. Number one, I think everybody in the room's got to figure out, is he the Savior? And I think if he's the Savior, the next step is you have to figure out, is he sovereign? And so for those of you in the room, you're, you're trying to figure out, you know, who is Jesus? That's a good, good journey. It's an amazing quest. And we encourage you. And we, we're, we're actually the kind of church that doesn't freak out if you ask hard questions. We actually like hard questions. And we actually like people who are on this journey because it's hard to figure out who, who is Jesus. But the cool thing about this Savior, and why is he unique? Because this Savior is the only one who got up and walked out of the grave. And this Savior is the only one who made 11 post-resurrection appearances. And this Savior is the only one who walked on the earth for 40 years after he rose from the dead. And the evidence, the empirical evidence for this Savior is stunning. But you got to figure that out. None of us in this room can be saved for you. Everybody in the room has to figure out, am I going to accept him as, as my Savior? And the second thing is, 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 he, is he sovereign? And if he's sovereign, what does that mean for my life? What does that mean about my marriage? What does that mean about my parenting? If he's sovereign, what does that mean about my money? And what does that mean about my my morality. If, if he is sovereign, if he is large and in charge, am I going to lean in and surrender my life to his sovereignty 
and to be a part of the church, which is in the business of helping people grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. And so I think there's two decisions that everybody in the room has to make. Number one, is he Savior? And that's the first step. And if you get past the first step, you ask yourself, well, is he sovereign? And if he is, what does that mean for me? And how do I serve him? And how, how do I honor him? And how do I lean in on this? And, and I think the Christians who have accepted him as Savior but aren't leaning into him as the sovereign master of the universe, I think they're just missing it. It's a little embarrassing to me that you'd be willing to accept fire insurance but not be willing to surrender to his sovereignty. And that's, that's where the fun part is. The white-knuckle adventure begins when you surrender. That's where the roller coaster ride begins. Because the Holy Spirit's going, ding, 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 I want you to do this, I want you to go here, I want you to stop this, I want you to move forward. When the Holy Spirit comes into your life and you surrender to his sovereignty, there's, there's millions of Christians who accept him as Savior. But when you accept him as sovereign, he's large and in charge, and I surrender to that, I, I can't tell you how exciting that is. I can't tell you where your life's going to go and what God's going to do. But I guarantee you, he is full of surprises. And he will shock the stew out of you on a regular basis, leading you to say and do and be and things that you would never dream of. That's, to me, that's, that's the exciting part. And so every man, every woman has to figure that out. Is he Savior? I don't think that's a real mind-bender. I mean, heaven or hell, that's not a real big decision, is it? That seems kind of easy. I was 14 years old, and the gospel plan was laid out for me, and, you know, do I want to go to heaven or do I want to go to hell? That was real simple. I want to go to heaven. But then the sovereignty, oh man, whoo, that's everything. That's surrender. That's like all in. That's total commitment. Well, here he is. One more slide I want you to write down a couple of words. Christ the lion. Let's look at this one. Christ the lion is victorious because of what Christ the lamb has already done. Now, at this point in history, which is yet to come, everyone and everything will recognize Jesus as the Messiah, as the Lord, as the King, as the victor. Christ the lion is victorious because of what Christ the lamb has already done. Now, there will be more pretenders. There have been a lot of pretenders already. There's been Genghis Khan. There's been Darius. There's been Nebuchadnezzar. There's been Hitler. There's been Stalin. There's been Lenin. I even think Saddam Hussein thought he could take over Kuwait, maybe get Saudi Arabia, and maybe take over the world. There are all kind of pretenders, and there will be more pretenders. And in the future, there will be the most hate-filled, Satan-inspired human of all mankind known as the Antichrist. But what they all have in common is they all fail, and they are all failures, because there is only one 
who has the authority. There is only one who has the ability to rightfully claim this earth as his title deed. No good angel, no bad angel. No good man, no bad man. No, no single person ever can or ever will take over this world. Jesus Christ is the lion of the tribe of Judah. And he is the root of David. And he has the power and the authority. And he will come. And he will come. Not as a suffering lamb, but as an incredible, victorious warrior. And so turn with me to chapter 5 and look at verse 8. I want to read the last one. So here's what happens. He sees this amazing vision. He gets this amazing vision, and here's what's about to take place. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures, and the 24 elders, they fell down. So Jesus takes the scroll. Who is worthy? Jesus is worthy, the lion of the tribe of Judah. He takes the scroll. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nations. And you've made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God. And they will reign where? On the earth. Jesus is coming again and we will rule and reign with him. A new heaven and a new earth. And they looked and they heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands. And 10,000 times 10,000. And they encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they were saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain. To receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength. And honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and forever.